Well, good evening. Daniel chapter 5, verse 21 is where we're going to start, and then we'll go back and dive into Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 2 just by way of quick review. Before we get to the message tonight, I want you to circle something on your calendars. Sunday night, February the 21st at 7 o'clock, we are having a night of worship here at the Oasis. And I hope that you will come back that Sunday night. That's going to be that morning will be the culmination of our worship series. And that night we will have a night of worship here. I'd love to see every seat filled in this auditorium. Worship is our warfare as Christians. Worship is how we achieve victory. And there's so many other voices being raised out there in the world today. Wouldn't it be great if we as Christians came together and raised a hallelujah to the Lord? And so February the 21st, we hope you'll join us for that. I wanted to start in Daniel chapter 5, verse 21, because as I introduced the study last week, this is the key phrase that is sort of the, the umbrella over everything that happens in this book, and that is a reminder of the sovereignty of God in all situations on earth. Daniel 5, 21 says this, the most high God, the highest God, the supreme God, the one above all others, rules over human kingdoms. He has absolute mastery over everything that goes on on earth. And no one comes into power, no one leaves power, no one goes anywhere without God being in control of each and every situation. In fact, Daniel goes on to say in that very same verse, he appoints over them whoever he wishes. So throughout this book, what I want us to see beyond everything else is not like we can even do today to get caught up in what's going on on earth, but to remember who's ruling from heaven. That's what we need to remember. Not what's happening on earth, but who's ruling from heaven. The most high God rules over the kingdoms of men. We saw that last week. If you'll go back now to Daniel chapter 1, I just want to quickly review. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, it was the Lord we saw who delivered King Jehoiakim of Judah into the power of Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. The people of God would have never been overtaken by this foreign kingdom had they not rebelled against God, disobeyed God, walked away from God, and fallen into idolatry. And God was simply fulfilling a promise that he had given long ago through Moses to his people. If you follow me and obey me, I will bless you and I will shower you with my favor. But if you rebel me and turn your back on me, I will get to a place where I will pull a foreign nation and I will empower them to overpower you as a rod of discipline for you so that I can get you back to me. Because that's always God's heart, is to draw his people back to him. And sometimes he has to take us through those hard, difficult valleys, if you will, to get our attention and to get us back to him. So it was the Lord who delivered his people into exile, into Babylon. Then if you go down to verse 9, it was God who made the overseer of the court uh, sympathetic to Daniel and to be able to have good standing and look upon him admirably and favorably. God can even uh, allow those over us in authority and even those that do not know him to look upon us with favor if that's what he so desires. 
And then verse 17, God endowed these young men that had stood up for him and made a commitment to him with knowledge, skill, and all these other things, and even insights into all kinds of visions and dreams. I want you to keep that in mind, the end of verse 17, as we come now to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is where we see the sovereignty of God declared. And I've divided this chapter, and it's a huge chapter, so we're not going to cover it verse by verse. We're just going to hit the high points, but I've divided this chapter up into three sections. In the first 13 verses, we see the powerlessness of the wisdom of the world. In verses 14 through 30, we see the power of the wisdom of God. And then in verse 31 through the rest of the chapter, we see the power of the kingdom of God. Let's look first at the powerlessness of the wisdom of the world. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had many dreams. By the way, back to the sovereignty of God, where were those dreams coming from? They were coming from God. God was invading the mind of the ruler of the earth and planting dreams into his mind while he was asleep at night. See, God can get into places where you and I can't. God can speak to hearts at any time, even those that do not know him. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he can turn it however he wants to, the book of Proverbs says. So God sent dreams into Nebuchadnezzar's mind while he was asleep, and notice his mind was disturbed, it was troubled, it was agitated by these dreams, and he suffered from insomnia. He couldn't even go back to sleep. It bothered him so much that he calls all of the wise men of the kingdom, and he wants them to try to explain, verse 2, give him some understanding into his dreams. So they came, and they awaited the king's instructions. Literally, they stood before the king. We talked about that phrase, that Nebuchadnezzar was fashioning these young men from exile and even his wise men to stand before him. But he was merely a man, just like the rest of us. You and I have the privilege and honor every day of standing before the King of kings and Lord of lords and saying, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm your servant. And we can serve no one greater than Jesus Christ. It gives our life as Christians dignity every day because we are a servant of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 3, the king told them, I've had a dream. And I'm anxious. I, I'm actually compelled. I, I can't get any rest until somebody figures this out for me. You ever been there where, you know, there's something sort of eating at you? It's in your crawl, and, and you just, you, you want some kind of resolution to it? It might be a dream. It might be something else. But that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. He could not rest. He had to find out what this dream was all about. Verse 4, the wise men replied to the king, O king, live forever. Now, I want to make a comment about this phrase in the Net Bible, and if you have another translation, it's probably there too. In verse 4, it says what follows is in Aramaic, and it's the only book of the Bible that's not written in Hebrew, which the Old Testament was, or Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in. And from chapter 2 of Daniel, verse 4, all the way to the end of chapter 7, which would be verse 28, that whole section 
is in Aramaic. Why? Because it was the court language of Babylon. It's what the Babylonians used as their court language, the language in the palace area. And everything from chapter 2, verse 4 through chapter 7 takes place in the court of the king of Babylon. That's why it's written in that language. Well, they tell the king, listen, you tell us what you dreamt, and we'll give you the interpretation. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was lit. First of all, he's like, you guys are supposed to be the wise guys. <clears throat> You're supposed to know all this. That's what you've been sort of touting yourself as. That's what you've been advertising, right? You can figure things out. And I don't even really remember the dream totally. I, I think if I had some help, it, it might start to come back to me. But I need you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. They began to make excuses. And then look at verse 8. The king replied, now I know for sure that you are attempting or stalling to gain more time, but my decision is firm. Now notice the wise men's response in verse 10. They replied to the king, there is no man on earth who is able to disclose the king's secret, for no king, regardless of his position and power, has ever requested such a thing from any magician, astrologer, or wise man. What the king is asking is too difficult, and no one exists who can disclose it to the king except for the gods, but they don't live among mortals. Oh, my. They don't know our God, do they? First of all, let's go back to the powerlessness of the wisdom of the world. Notice, this was the greatest power on earth at that time. They ruled the world, Babylon. So they had assembled all the greatest minds of the greatest kingdom on earth at that point, and they couldn't tell Nebuchadnezzar anything. They couldn't tell him his dream, and then obviously they couldn't tell him any interpretation. It is a reminder to us that wisdom apart from God has great limitation. Man can only know so much and go so far with his understanding and comprehension of anything from creation all the way to the end of God's plan for this earth without God and without them humbling themselves before God and asking God to reveal it to us. Because apart from God revealing these things to us, all of us would not know these things. In fact, I love this verse in 1 Corinthians. Listen to what Paul said. He said, For since in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased to save those who believe by the foolishness of preaching. Paul said, It is in God's wisdom that the wisdom of the world is never going to be sufficient to know him to figure him out, to understand him in any way. See, there, there's a, a place where human wisdom falls short over and over and over again. And, and I want to encourage those of you in this room and those maybe watching 
over live stream tonight, if you know the Lord and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have access to the wisdom of God and can know things that others don't know, no matter if their IQ is 100 points higher than yours, because you have the wisdom of God and you have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit and presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to understand and put things together through the Spirit that the smartest people in the world can't figure out. Notice back in verse 11, this thing you're asking, king, is too difficult. Well, that reminded me of the verse in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is told by God, I'm the Lord of all humankind. Is there anything too difficult for me? And when you and I are connected to the Lord, then is there anything too difficult for us? Because we've got the Lord, you see. And then I love this. He says, only the gods or a supernatural source could disclose this to the king. Well, you're right. That's true. But that God who can do that is going to use this young man, Daniel, to be able to do it because that's the way God has chosen to work. That God has chosen to work and to share his knowledge and his wisdom with us so that he can work through us to capture the hearts and minds of others. And then I love this too. These wise guys of Babylon say, oh, but the gods don't live among mortals. Oh, yeah, they do. Emmanuel is God is with us. God left the glory of heaven to come down to earth to live amongst us. At Christmas time, we were in John chapter 1 where it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled, pitched his tent amongst us as human beings. God does come down and dwell with us, and we are so thankful that he did because he showed us God, and he showed us the way of salvation. Well, because of their excuses, verse 12, the king got so angry that he said, I'm going to destroy all of you. You're all going to die including, notice at the end of verse 13, Daniel and his friends, because they were now part of the wise men of Babylon. So in the first 13 verses, we see the powerlessness of the wisdom of the world. With God, we can have great understanding and insight and discernment and perception. Without God, we are very, very limited. All we can come up with many times are guessings and speculations and things that our human mind thinks it might be that, but we have no certainty, we have no confidence because we don't know, because we're not connected to the God who truly knows, you see. But, verse 14, we come now to the power of the wisdom of God. Then Daniel spoke with prudent counsel to Arioch. What's that mean? It meant that in spite of the fact that Daniel just heard that King Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill them all, Daniel remained calm and composed in crisis. Composure in crisis is a way that you and I are challenged by the example of Daniel throughout the book of Daniel. And remember last week I said the number one thing I want us all to get out of our study of Daniel is that the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men. 
and that he is sovereign, and nothing happens on this earth without him being in control. He rules at all times, never gives up his throne. But the second thing that you and I can gain from our study of the book of Daniel is to be challenged as other human beings by the example of Daniel and the way he carried himself, even though as a very young man, 12, 13, or 14, he was plucked away from his home, thrown into a foreign country, and basically told, swim out in the deep water. And because of his great upbringing and spiritual foundation and because of his own personal commitment to God, he did not simply survive in the kingdom of Babylon, he thrived in the kingdom of Babylon. We'll get to that in just a moment. Why did he speak to Arioch? Because Arioch was the one who was in charge of the king's executioners. He was the one that was rounding up the executioners that was going to kill all the wise people. But Daniel had no fear because his life was in God's hands. So he inquired of Arioch, verse 15, the king's deputy, why is a decree from the king so urgent? Literally, why is he being so harsh and hasty? Like, gee whiz, give, give us, you know, a moment here to catch our breath, you know? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. He gave Daniel all the backstory that Daniel was not aware of. So notice, Daniel was not only composed and calm, he was also courageous because he went in and requested the king to grant him time. Now, why is that important? Because back in verse 8, that's exactly the same request that the wise men of Babylon had asked Nebuchadnezzar for. We need more time, and he says, you're just stalling. I'm not going to give you any more time. Why did Daniel make this request? Because he knew God had given him the ability to interpret visions and dreams. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 17. And what's that remind us of? That the gifts that God has given us, we need to make sure we're using those gifts for his glory and for the benefit of others. God gave him the gift of being able to interpret visions and dreams. And God obviously knew ahead of time that that was going to come in handy, so that's why he gave it to him. And sometimes in our life, what God is giving us, the gift that he's giving us, or the ability he's giving us, may not be for that season, but may be for a season down the road, just like it was with Daniel. It's also very interesting that when Daniel went in, verse 16, and requested that the king grant him more time, the king did. Why did the king grant Daniel the time that he wouldn't grant to his counselors and other advisors? Well, for one, God is sovereign. And just like God gave Daniel favor in the eyes of his immediate superior, God may have given favor to Daniel with the king. It could also be that the king saw something different in Daniel, in the way he composed himself, in the way he handled himself in this crisis. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar has already seen something different about Daniel and his three friends because we were introduced to that back in chapter 1, how after they did their diet, that, and, and, and he saw the wisdom and insight and all of that they had, that he said, your, your guys are 10 times better than any of my other advisors. So 
he was already seeing something special about Daniel, and maybe that's the reason he gave him. For whatever reason, he granted Daniel something that he didn't grant the other advisors. God's hand, see, was in all of this. It was in all of this. And you and I, when we get in these sticky, wicked situations in our life, we've got to understand God is in the midst and in the middle of it all, you see. And he can grant things and turn people's hearts and do all that if that's what he wants. The, the, the thing is, no matter what God is doing, we just need to trust him in each and every situation and remain calm and composed and not be afraid. Amen. Exhibit our faith just as Daniel did. Then I love this, verse 17. Then what else did Daniel do? Daniel went to his home and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the matter, and asked his friends to pray. It's always, always the way we should respond, no matter what our situation we're faced with, is prayer. And it's always great as a Christian to have a few friends, don't need a lot, just a few friends that you can call on to pray with you or to pray for you. That's exactly what Daniel did. We need to encourage each other to do that. I love what Jesus said. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Pray. Matthew 7, 7. Are we seeking? Are we asking? Are we knocking at the door of heaven? Daniel asked them to pray for mercy or compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so he and his friends would not be destroyed along with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And that night, God answered his prayer and revealed the mystery of what was hidden to Daniel. And when Daniel got the answer, what was the first thing Daniel did? He worshiped. Don't miss that. When you and I receive revelation or an answer or insight from the Lord, what should be our first response? To get down on our knees and worship the Lord. The word praised here means to kneel, to bless. And notice Daniel exalts God. He says, you are the God of heaven. Let the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes times and seasons, deposing some kings and establishing others. He gives wisdom to the wise. He imparts knowledge to those with understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light resides with him. What's he, what's he establishing? God's sovereign. God's in control. O oh God of my fathers, I acknowledge and glorify you, for you have bestowed wisdom and power on me. Now you have enabled me to understand what I requested from you, for you have enabled me to understand the king's dilemma. All because he asked, he seeked, he knocked, he prayed, God, I need your help knowing that God had already given him, too, that gift and ability to be able to understand visions and dreams. And God laid it out for him. So Daniel went immediately, verse 24, and said, Hold your executioners. I got the answer that the king's looking for. So verse 25 says, Ariok, quickly, <laughs> urgently, usher, here, Daniel, you know. 
And he says to the king, I found a man from the captives of Judah who can make known the interpretation of the king. I want to stop here because I don't want to forget this. This is so important to Daniel chapter 2 especially, but really the entire book. God had Daniel in the exact place that he wanted him. Don't miss that. Even though God's people had rebelled against them and he put them in exile for, to, to discipline them in order to turn their hearts, that there were a few already in Israel who had not turned their backs on God, Daniel and his family, along with some others, obviously. And they were the ones, along with many others, who suffered by going into exile. And yet that's exactly where God wanted Daniel. Sometimes we as Christians bemoan that, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? And why have you put me here? Why haven't you gotten me out of that and all of this? And God may have us exactly where he wants us. In fact, you can be sure of it right now. Wherever you are, God has you at a certain place for a reason, just as he did Daniel. It may be like Daniel to influence some very ungodly people. I don't know. But God is even sovereign over the place that we are at the time and the season that we're in. Secondly, God has us with certain people strategically. We see the importance of the friendship and companionship that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah had and that they never went through anything alone. They, they always had a couple of good friends to be able to walk through it with them. Whoever God has placed you with in this life, whoever you're close to as another brother or sister in Christ, that is no accident either, you see. And then going back to the gifts and abilities, the gifts and abilities that God has given Daniel is very strategic. And the same thing is true for us. Whatever gifts and abilities God has given you, it's for a purpose. It's not just, well, I, I, I had this leftover gift there. I'm just going to throw it, you know. No. Remember, when God created us and designed us, it was always with the purpose in mind. So the gifts and abilities and talents that he gave us was also very purposeful. He wants us to use them in the place that we are in with the people that he's put us next to, just like in the book of Daniel. So Daniel replied to the king after the king said in verse 26, are you able to give me some kind of insight into this dream? And Daniel replied to the king, verse 27, the mystery that the king is asking about is such that no wise man, astrologer, magician, or diviner can possibly disclose it to the king powerlessness of human wisdom. But then two words basically in verse 28, but God. However, there is a God in heaven and that makes all the difference. In fact, if you're a person that underlines or highlights things in your Bible, I would underline 
However, there is a God in heaven. Those seven words should be words that you and I sort of have in the forefront of our minds all the time. Because why? Because throughout our life, we're going to be confronted with situations and circumstances and, and, and challenges and obstacles and all those things. And the way you and I should respond to those is, but there's a God in heaven, and he makes all the difference. See, we've got to learn to bring God into the equation of everything that we go through in our life. Because God's the one that makes a difference. And if God chooses in our life not to change the circumstances of the situation, then like Paul, God says, but I'll give you my grace that's sufficient to deal with it. So even in that, God makes all the difference. He's either going to give us insight into why we're going through what we're going through, or he's going to give us the grace to do it, or he's going to give us something else. But the, the definite is this, that when you and I understand that there is a God in heaven and we bring him into each and every situation, he then just changes the whole paradigm himself, you see. In fact, one of the things God has been laying on my heart is this, because I'm getting ready to do some, you know, I'm studying ahead, doing some work on some series down the road here at the Oasis, and one of the things that God is impressing upon me is to remind all of us, the old phrase that time heals all wounds is not biblical. Time doesn't heal wounds, but God's presence does. And that's why God invites us into his presence, because he's the only one that can really heal us and help us and, and change our hearts and change our minds about things. It is the presence of God, which then goes back to why worship should be a priority, because worship is nothing but desiring the presence of God more than everything else and anything else. But God reveals mysteries, verse 28, and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the times to come. The dream and the visions you had while lying on your bed are as follows. As for you, O king, while you were in your bed, your thoughts turned to future things. The revealer of mysteries has made known to you what will take place. By the way, that's one of the names of God in the Bible, the revealer of mysteries. Look at verse 30. This is a young man, remember. At this point, maybe now 15, 16, still pretty heady stuff, right, for a 15, 16-year-old to be the one standing in the gap in the most powerful kingdom with the most powerful ruler on earth at that time, standing in the gap for all these other wise men of the, of the kingdom in order to spare their lives along with his and, and his friends, and yet he doesn't get lifted up in pride. Notice his humility in verse 30. As for me, this mystery was revealed to me not because I possess more wisdom than any other living person, but so that the king may understand the interpretation and comprehend the thoughts of your mind. In other words, Daniel is saying, the only reason I can share this with you is because I'm connected to a God who revealed this to me. And it's him that gets the glory, not me. I'm just his instrument. I'm just the vessel that he's working through. But the glory goes to him. What an example for each of us 
that no matter how great our abilities, no matter how God is powerfully using us, the glory still goes back to him because all of our gifts, all of our abilities, all of our talents, everything that you and I use to glorify God and to serve him comes from him, comes from him. And therefore, all the praise should go back to him. So in verse 14 through verse 30, we see the power of the wisdom of God. There is nothing in this universe beyond the wisdom of God. God gets it all because God created it all. And there's so much about God that even if he told us, we couldn't understand or grasp, which is why even in the book of Job, I know I'm sort of getting ahead of myself a little bit. Why in the book of Job, God never really does reveal his grand design. He never tells Job about the conversation that he and Satan had and how the whole thing, he never says any of that. What God does with Job is the same thing God does with us many times. He doesn't reveal the intricacies of his plan because we couldn't understand it anyway. He reveals himself to Job. and That's what he does with us. He simply wants to reveal more of who he is, and we go, okay, God, I, I yeah, you got it. I trust you. I trust you. Again, that's why worship is so important because worship is nothing more than desiring to know more of God and to see him for who he really is and to connect with him. God wants to reveal himself because, again, many times the answers that he could give us as human beings, we couldn't, we couldn't get it, even if he told us. So that's why God says, walk by faith, trust me, trust me. Finally, verses 31 through the rest of the chapter, we see the power of the kingdom of God. And there's so much that we could talk about here tonight, but basically in the dream, here's what God lays out to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be some great earthly kingdoms that I allow to come into power throughout the history of mankind. He says, I'm going to start with you. You're the head of this statue, this dream that you had. So the Babylonian Empire are going to be the first sort of great world power, if you will. Then after Babylon is going to come the Medes and the Persians, and God describes them through Daniel. Then after the Medes and the Persians, it's going to be the kingdom of Greece, and Greece and Alexander, uh, Alexander the Great, they're going to rule the world for a while. And then after Greece is going to come the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire is going to be bigger and grander than any other world empire ever has been on earth, even up to this time. In fact, since the Roman Empire, it doesn't matter whether it was Charlemagne. It doesn't matter whether it was Hitler in Germany. It doesn't matter if it was the Soviet Union or the United States. No other earthly power has ever had the kingdom that the Roman Empire has had. And so God says, in the last days, that Roman Empire is going to sort of be resurrected. And it is then going to be the last sort of earthly kingdom on earth. And he revealed all this to Daniel so that Daniel could share this with Nebuchadnezzar. Notice what Daniel says in verse 37 to the king, though. 
He says, you, O king, are the king of kings on earth. The God of heaven has granted you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. Again, sovereignty of God. Nebuchadnezzar, you wouldn't be in the position you are unless God put you there. Unless God gave you the gifts and abilities and talents he did. You're only there at God's good pleasure because God rules in the kingdoms of men. And then he goes down and he begins to describe these other earthly kingdoms. But I want to get to the most important part of Daniel chapter 2. Notice then at the end in verse 44, in the last days of the final world empire, the revived Roman empire, the God of heaven, once again, who's in control, will raise up an everlasting kingdom that will not be destroyed, a kingdom that will not be left to another people. In fact, it will break in pieces and bring about the demise of all these kingdoms, but it, the kingdom of God, will stand forever. That's the kingdom you and I are a part of. That's why we can't, as Christians, get caught up with earthly kingdoms, no matter who they are, because they're all short-lived. They all last for a couple hundred years, and then they pass off the scene, and they're gone forever, and their leaders are gone forever, just like ours will be. No earthly kingdom was meant by God to exist forever. The only kingdom that exists forever is God's kingdom. And thank God, you and I who know the Lord Jesus as our Savior are part and parcel of that kingdom. And we will rule and reign with Christ forever and ever. And that's what we get to look forward to. Not being part of a temporal earthly kingdom, but being part of God's eternal kingdom that will stand Forever. I hope that will encourage you tonight. Then he says in verse 45, you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain, not by human hands. This is not of men. This is of God. And it smashed the last part of the earthly kingdom, the iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold into pieces. Who do I think that stone is? None other than the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice, the great God has made known to the king what will occur in the future. And Daniel says this in verse 45. This is so key for us too. The dream is certain. It is sure. It is concrete. And its interpretation is reliable. It is trustworthy. It is faithful. Why? Because it came from God. And God is saying the same thing to his people today. The things that I have planned for the future that I have revealed through my word, they are absolutely concrete. You can bank on it. You can, you can set your dial to it. You can, you can put your soul and everything into it because it's going to happen just as God said because God is reliable. God's word is trustworthy. God is dependable. God cannot lie. Now, you would think, as proud a person as Nebuchadnezzar was, that once he heard that he was sort of going to be kicked to the curb eventually, that he'd get upset. No. Why? Because he knew that what Daniel told him was exactly what he dreamed. And so notice, 
Nebuchadnezzar bows down, verse 46, with his face to the ground and paid homage to Daniel. He gave orders to offer sacrifice and incense to him. The king replied to Daniel, Certainly your God is a God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of uh, mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't believe, ever became a believer in Yahweh. I think he simply, like many people, added God to his pantheon of gods by saying, well, you're, he's the God of gods, but there's still plenty of other gods out there, right? We'll see that in a couple weeks. But then notice, then the king promoted or elevated Daniel to an even higher, as if Daniel didn't already have a high position. Now he basically becomes the prime minister. Notice verse 48, made him the main prefect or prime minister over all of Babylon. Here's the thing. You and I know it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar who elevated and promoted Daniel, was it? It was God. God used Nebuchadnezzar, but God had Daniel in the exact place at the exact time God wanted him there. And he gave him the gifts and abilities and talents and things to that he gave him so that he could use them in that very strategic place and position that he had Daniel in. And God wants to do the same thing in our lives if we are open like Daniel was open to the will of God for his life. Oh, by the way, verse 49, we'll end with this. And at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the promise. Daniel leveraged his relationship with the king to help his friends. God has us in certain relationships with people so that at times we can leverage that relationship for God's kingdom and for God's glory. Again, it's no accident who God puts us next to, you see. Because he was next to the king, he's like, well, king, since you're doing that, Will you grant my friends a promotion as well? Because we're all in this together. And I want to bring this back around in closing because you and I have a special place through the blood of Jesus Christ with the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have a special position. We are the children of God. And therefore, we can, in the right way, leverage that position to bring honor and glory to the Lord. God wants us to do that, just as Daniel did it with Nebuchadnezzar. But most of the time we're like, oh God, you know, you're, you don't care, or this isn't any big deal or whatever. No, no. God wants us to come to him and remember, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. I want to encourage you tonight that the same God who ruled over the kingdoms when Daniel was on earth is the same God who rules over all of these kingdoms on earth today. And he is working his will exactly out the way he wants to. And his plan and purpose is moving forward. God is simply looking for a group of people within all that's going on in the world who will rise up like Daniel and be a worshiper of him and be set out so that others can see and be able to be encouraged and emboldened by the example like Daniel was. May we rise up to the challenge of our day and dare to be 
a Daniel. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the reminder that, God, nothing happens on this earth without you being in control and allowing it or causing it. And God, just as in Daniel's day, you put us in certain places at certain times with certain people and with certain gifts and abilities and talents, all for your grand design and purpose. God, may we simply trust you and rest in you and what you have for us. And may we be open to what you have for us, just as Daniel and his friends were there in Babylon. We may feel that we are living in the last days, God, of your plan for this earth. But whatever time we're living in, God, the important thing is that we stay connected to you and that we keep on worshiping you no matter what's going on on earth. Because, God, you are worthy of our praise, our worship, our very life and service, God. And we love you and we want to celebrate you every day of our lives. God, go with us as we go to our homes tonight. Bless these folks who've come out in the middle of the week, God. Give them safety as they travel and give them a great rest of the week and bring us all back on Sunday, God, that we might again just be so enthused to be here to worship you once again as your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week.